Good morning. I'm really grateful to be here today. I'm really excited about what's using this technology to share this lesson. I'm excited about the lesson itself, and I'm glad that Jim uh, trusted me with this today. Uh, this lesson is very important to me. We're going to be working, um, looking at Acts chapter 8, if you want to turn to that, starting in verse 26 is our text. Um, this is a passage that um, touches a little bit of, of my heart, too, something that's meant something to me. And so we're going to talk about Philip, the story of Philip and the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip, um, he was focused on God and God's calling on his life. And this is not Philip the apostle. I want you to make, make it clear right here. This is Philip the deacon. This is the man in early Acts that was called to wait tables. Not a very noble calling. Uh, God takes those um, but God takes those who are faithful in small things, and he often uses them to do greater things, in, at least in the eyes of men. It, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're doing it for the Lord, you need to be faithful. And um, um got a quote from Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor said, Small things are small things, but faithfulness in a small thing is a big thing. Um, we just recently did study on Joshua and uh, learned that he was a leader of God's people. But for 40 years, before he was a leader, he was the aide of Moses. And one of his jobs one time was just simply to hold up the arms of Moses. Because Moses' arms were tired. That was it. Nothing glorious, glamorous about that. Um, maybe God will or won't use you to do something big. But regardless of what God is, is doing or going to do, let me encourage you to be faithful. For without faith it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 Being faithful is big in the eyes of God. Now what we have here is we have Philip and he's a soul winner. It's clear that he's a soul winner. And we've learned in the past, you, if you've been a Christian very long, you understand Matthew 28, Mark 16. This is referred to as the Great Commission where we're commanded to go and preach the gospel. It's not just for those in the ministry. It's for all of us. And in this sense, we're all evangelists. By the time we get to Acts chapter 8, our friend Phil here, he's an evangelist. He's teaching. He's preaching. All throughout Samaria, people are getting saved. People are getting baptized. Uh, new churches are being formed uh, throughout the villages. That That's requiring more spiritual leaders and more deacons and more servants being called, being used. Phil is, Phil's ministry here is successful. It's thriving ministry. And, and it's talking about that all through Acts chapter 8 up to 25. And that's the kind of experience a lot of us want. Not necessarily the preaching and teaching, as some don't want to do, may not want to do that. But we all want that big experience where we're making a difference for God. In a very short time, Phil, he just doesn't have three campuses like we do. He has dozens of campuses. And God is just growing his church exponentially. This is exciting stuff that's going on. And we come to our passage today, and in the New King James, it starts with the word now. It's saying with all this excitement going on, with all the activity, with all the people getting saved and baptized, the passage starts now. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now, the Holy Spirit, through Luke's writing here, doesn't want you to miss this. Phil is having this vibrant, growing ministry. 
big metropolitan area. Lots of people, lots, lots of things going on. And he's saying, now I want you to go to the backside of the desert. There's nothing there. I've been there. There's absolutely nothing there. There are no towns. There are no people. Even the traffic along this road, people, there was another road and people tend to take it. Because it was just so dead, so barren. There's no trees. Excuse me, there's no vegetation. And the Holy Spirit's asking Phil to go where? Why? Um, sometimes God doesn't work the way we expect him to. You see, Phil was so successful. Um, in our eyes, yeah, that's true. But Philip was obedient, and he and uh, he was faithful. And it is those things that make um, Philip who he was. That's why he had the success that he did. If he wasn't obedient and faithful, Philip the deacon probably never would have been Philip the evangelist. In fact, Philip the church member probably never would have been Philip the deacon. So this testimony it is clear about how important obedience and faith is. Because his obedience and faith made him, fa made him faithful, made him obedient at waiting tables, and God did more for him. What, where does our obedience and faith take us? We may not know. But it's important whatever you're doing, whether it's waiting tables, cleaning tables, taking the trash out, working the nursery, the choir, Awanas, parking lot security, you name it. I often wonder how many Philip the Evangelists do we have in our own church, in our class. Potentially, that's every one of us. And in verse 27, as we continue in our passage, it gives us a glimpse of why he may have been so successful. Because it starts out and it says, so he arose and went. It was just that simple to our friend Phil. No arguments, no complaints, no, but God, he just did it. Did God's plan make sense? If you're in the sandals of Phil here, um, human perspective, uh, didn't make sense at all. Wouldn't he be able to reach more people if he just stayed where he was? Wouldn't more people get saved? I mean, wouldn't God's church grow faster to put a spiritual perspective on it? If he just stayed in Samaria? But God said go, and Phil went. And you know what happened? The backside of the desert turned into a harvest field. Let's look at, continue at verse 27. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all the treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. This is just one man in the middle of nowhere. Now, This was just one man in the middle of nowhere, but God. It's implied here, it's not said. But those are important words, because this man was important in his country. But here in Israel, not so much. Here in the desert, not so much. Compared to all the needy in Samaria, not that important. But God, he has a heart for people. God loves people. 2 Peter 3.9b says, For he is not willing any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And Philip had that same heart. That's why he was here in this desert. That should be a challenge to each of us. Do you have the heart of God? 
the heart of a soul winner because God loves people. He loves them enough to send his son to die for them and for me and for you. Now in our story, we don't know what has happened that's brought him to this point. But he's ready for harvest. See, there may have been a lot of seed planters, family, friends, maybe total strangers that were obedient enough to tell him what God needed him to hear. The Bible tells us some plant, some harvest, some water. And Philip was ready to be whatever tool God needed, whenever God needed it, wherever God needed it. fact of the matter is, planting and harvesting, they can get a little dirty. And that's what hinders a lot of people from going. You know? It's just, you see our friend, he was willing, he was ready to do whatever it takes. He understood the importance of it. Sometimes I wonder if I do. Or a lot of people around me. But I need to see souls saved. I I don't have to necessarily always win them myself, it's, but I need to see it. I want to win souls. The best part of it, you know, the best part in the service to me is at the very end when we do baptisms. Because someone just made a decision for Christ. They just made a decision that affects all of eternity for them. And I know heaven's rejoicing. And I know I ought to. And I most, most of the time I do. It's a very, very beautiful moment for me. Back in our passage, we come to verse 29. And it says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake his chariot. Then Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. One of those dirty moments I was just talking about, this is not one of them. Some, this was a wide open door. And sometimes God provides those open doors. Sometimes they're closed. We don't know which they're going to be. So we need to try every door. We need to tell everyone. I'm sure that Phil's successful ministry back in Samaria had a few literal and figurative closed doors. Um, even, even in the earlier part of the chapter, it shares some of the opposition, strong opposition that Phil faced. But right here, an open door and Phil walks right in he doesn't drag his feet he doesn't say well let's think about this a minute let's pray is this really the will of God when we have our, our hearts in the right place when we're walking close with God we can expect God to open doors we ought to expect God to open doors um, sometimes being obedient and serving God is really that easy Looking back at our passage in verse 32, it says, The place in scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare this his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself? Or some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. Wow! That's what Jim calls throwing up a softball. Here's the evangelist and he's saying, who is this he's talking about? Well, 
even some of the newest of Christians are going to look at the passage and say, well, of course it's Jesus. And I was trying to think of a good analogy, and the first thing that came to me was seeing a person standing with, at the edge of a swimming pool with their feet just barely over the edge, just leaning over on this blistering hot day, sweats running down their face, and, and they're standing there just confused, saying, I am so hot, and I don't know what to do. Are you going to know what to do for them? It's going to be hard to resist, not just to push them in. That's where this eunuch was. He was right on the edge. He was teetering there. He was yearning for the truth. He was seeking the truth. He had been spending lots of money looking for the truth. How do we know that? He, he'd taken a chariot ride from his town way down in Ethiopia up to the temple just to worship God. He had his own scripture of Isaiah. Those would have cost a lot of money in those days. He was seeking the Messiah. And he had his Bible open right to a prophecy about Jesus. And here comes Phil. What a coincidence, huh? Maybe it's an accident. It was divine providence. Any time that you put yourself out there to be used of God, and God uses you to witness or to even lead somebody to the Lord, it's not an accident. God is looking for faithful servants to be ready and willing to say, It's Jesus. The person you seek is Jesus. Who you need, it's Jesus. You know, the problem we have is our own fear. We don't want to lean on, on faith, on God, on what he's done, on what he's doing right now. The biggest excuse you may hear, and I've heard a lot, is what if I don't have the answer? To which I say, so what? I think of a... a time when I was a fairly new believer and I was excited. God was doing things. I was just eating up the Word of God. Every time the, the church doors opened, I was in there. I was in the pastor's office after services and before services asking questions and just was excited about what God was doing. God was changing my life in, in huge increments. And I had a friend and she was really curious about what was going on. And she started asking me questions. And the more excited I was, the more questions she asked. The problem was, most of the time, I had to say, I don't know. But I can find out. And I didn't even know how to find out. I didn't even know how to look it up in the Bible for myself. I would constantly go to my pastor and say, she's asking this, what do I say? So one day she was asking so many questions. I said, why don't you just come and talk to my pastor? And I'll go with you. You know, we'll just sit. No one else will have to be there. And you can just ask all the questions you want. And she did. You know what? He led her to the Lord. She got saved. She has a new home crafted by the great architect. I didn't really do anything. But it didn't matter. What a blessed time that was. You know, I found that God always uses you exactly where you are. If you're a newborn Christian, you don't have to have a four-year degree in soul winning to tell somebody about Christ. He's going to use your excitement. He's going to use your testimony of what he's doing, what he's done. What's somebody going to say about that? No, God's not really doing that in your life. When I started really taking an interest in reaching people, I wanted to have 
all the verses, the right verses. I wanted to make sure I made no mistakes. The problem was I just couldn't remember them. I'd memorize the verse. I'd be able to quote it. And then when I get in front of somebody, it was like, uh, for God, something about love and, and all of us, you know? And so what I did was I would mark, and all I had to remember was Romans chapter 3. And I even put my little mark, bookmark in there. And when I turned to it, I had the verse uh, marked. Because even when I turned to it, I couldn't remember which verse it was. And I have the verse marked. And I would read, there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verses 10 and 23. I'd say, and right beside these verses, I'd have it marked. The next verse to turn to. And I had it all in Romans. I didn't know about Romans wrote. I didn't know that's what I was reading at the time. But to my surprise, I just read these verses. And I would find people who were genuinely interested. People who, who knew less about God and the Bible than I did. When I was willing to be used, God put me in those situations where I could share with these people. And I find that when I'm obedient and faithful, he continues to put me in the same situations with different people. Let me tell you one more story I've shared in the past. Um, my grandfather was very instrumental in raising me. was a huge influence on my life. And I witnessed to him many, many times. I prayed. I gave him tracts. I prayed. I gave him my testimony. I prayed. Um, urged him. No progress. One day, he ended up in the hospital. Their, their fear was it was probably tuberculosis. He was scared. And I found myself standing right beside him. Um, I was praying. I was scared. I was looking for God to, to make a wide open door. To give me an opportunity. To give some line out there that I could just grasp and, and move forward with. See, I knew the verses. I even had a degree in Bible by this time. But all those years, and, and I just, I couldn't say, I, I just didn't know what to say while I was standing there. So I waited. You know what God did? Right then? Nothing. Came time for me to leave. And I, I was almost uh, despondent about it because God hadn't opened a door for me. And finally, I just swallowed my pride, my fear, and I just stepped out there and I said, with all that's going on, have you thought about what's going to happen if you die? And my grandfather said, yeah, quite a bit. And there it was. I realized I'd been waiting for God to move, and he was waiting for me to do the same. So I started quoting Bible verses to my grandfather. And he started listening he was very attentive. I started sharing from the very beginning. I said, Grandpa, we're all sinners. Every one of us. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. He said, Oh, I've always believed that. After I picked my job off the floor, I went on. Didn't know where, the, where it was going. I thought The thought even crossed my mind that maybe through all this he was agreeing with me just to pacify me and to get me out the door. I said, God, the Bible says that there's a penalty for sin. But God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us, to pay that penalty for you and for me. 
You know what he said? Again, he said, oh, I've always believed that too. So I went through Romans Road. And I got to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 13. You can look them up. That's your homework assignment for this week. And I asked him, I said, have you ever asked God to forgive you? Have you ever told him that you're trusting in what he's done for you? Have you ever asked him to come into your life? And he said, I never knew I had to. All these years, he was so close. He was just like that eunuch. He was on the precipice. But it wasn't God's time. And I said, would you like to pray right now and ask him? Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to come into your life. And he said, yes, very much. At the age of 84, my grandfather accepted Christ as his Savior. Thank you, Jesus. That's what the eunuch did. He made a decision. And it changed his life. Look down the next verse. In verse 36. Now, as they went down to the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water, and he baptized him. When someone accepts Christ, they're forever changed. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17b says, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Most often, there's a very perceivable difference, an action or a reaction that says, yes, I just accepted Christ. In the case of this eunuch, he said, what hinders me to be back from being baptized? Back in the case of my grandfather, it turned out that he had cancer. I came back to Chattanooga. A couple weeks later, he left the hospital. And he went home. But I never saw him again. Two months later, God took him home. I didn't know what had happened. I didn't know if anything had happened. I didn't know if he had changed. And I wanted to very badly. And it was a little while, and I found out when he went home. See, my grandfather was a lifelong alcoholic. He drank five, six, eight beers a day. Um, just socially or just because he liked beer. Um, he would drink a um, couple glasses of wine with meal. He would drink stronger before and after dinner drinks. Maybe go back to beers. Maybe stay on strong drinks. Um, that's what he did. That's what he and his friends did. They drank a lot. I only saw him drunk once my, my entire life. But he drank all the time. When he got home from the hospital, he got rid of every bit of it. Every This large liquor cabinet, he just threw it away. See, something changed in him, and he told everybody, he said, it just doesn't taste right anymore. Um, that was a perceivable change moment. That was his, his what keeps me from being baptized moment. That may have been just for me. See, when people get saved, you should see a difference. Because God makes a difference. We come to our last couple of verses 
In verse 39, read with me if you will. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities, till he came to Caesarea. What just happened? It, it's almost like the event with the eunuch didn't happen. Did anybody see it? Did the eunuch make an impact back in Ethiopia to his family, to his friends? Was there lifestyle changes? We don't know any of this. The story just ends very abruptly. Philip, he goes back to his job preaching in the same cities and moving out and beyond that. Um, the Ethiopian eunuch, he goes back to his job. Goes back to Ethiopia. Beyond that initial joy, a lot of times, we may not see ever see those changes. And this side of heaven, we may not know anything about them. When we choose to be obedient and tell others, sometimes it, we won't see the, the alter, how it alters lives. It may not even alter our life greatly. See, Philip, after that event, he never got a calling to go to Ethiopia. He never got a calling to, to reach the nomadic, wandering peoples of the desert to reach peoples in Africa. He went right back where he left off, where God was calling him to do. That's what he does with most most of us. We present ourselves for an opportunity. God gives us one. And then we, we keep going. Things don't drastically change. But what I got to thinking about while I was reading these verses and studying this lesson is some of the people that I've witnessed to and even led to the Lord in years past. Most of them, I don't know where they are today. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know how their lives have changed. No clue. Um, the act of telling people about about Jesus, it may not even have a major impact on your own life or direction of your life. But I know not telling someone, not obeying the Great Commission, showing this lack of faith to, to do what you're supposed to do, it can drastically alter your life. I can share a story about that too. That's for another lesson. So let me recap what I've been talking about. Three things. God uses you where you are. Exactly where you are right now. God wants you to use you. Secondly, God uses the knowledge that you have. He's not asking you to know everything, to be uh, have a doctorate in Bible, just to tell people. He He uses what knowledge you have where you are. And thirdly, I've said it several times, God's looking for obedience and faithfulness. Now there's three questions that I want to finally um, put to you. I'd like you to ask yourself, internalize these. This is the personalization aspect. First question, are you walking with God? Because our choice is to get closer or to not. If you're not walking with God, Get in his word. Remember, he's looking for obedience and faith. Second question, do you have a heart for souls? If not, pray for one. It's not difficult. Find the heart of God. Develop the heart of God. We can say a lot of thing about, things about God's heart, but God loves people. Third question, final question, 
Are you active in telling others? If not, simple, get active. You don't have to have all the answers. God's looking for one thing. He requires one thing of you. One step at a time. That's the rest of your life. One step at a time. And that's what winning souls is all about. It's one step at a time. Thank you for allowing me to share with you this morning.